Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour. Miss, I started too loud. Yes, you and did. And it was like nowhere to go from there. You want to well, take it again? Welcome to Sawbones. It's a marital tour of misguided medicine. That sounded like I was hosting a show about woodworking. Hi, welcome to Sawbones. Today in the workshop, we're going to be building this beautiful birch bookcase. And I'm Sydney McElroy. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know this wood stuff. I just kind of made up the first thing that came to mind. I just didn't know where I get the, and I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm I didn't Sydney know, McElroy. I didn't know where that would I'm come in. I'm holding the glue for him in our woodworking shop. I, I was shocked when you started doing woodworking and I learned how much stuff gets glued. Yeah. It's surprising, right? A lot of people think it's nails. Nope. Mostly glue. Yeah. It's really strong glue. You know how strong wood glue is? Stronger than wood. I hope it's really strong because you, you build, wood, you build all these wood things and you put glue there to hold it together. And then you're like, hi, children, climb on that. Why are we wasting time with wood is the thing, right? We should just be making it all out of glue. <laughs> the glue the is so much stronger, stronger than, than the, the wood. wood. Well, Sydney, we've glued the introduction of this podcast to the body of it uh, by arriving here with that great segue. What is on the docket today? It's <laughs> a for... very purred, purred. <laughs> well, <laughs> What's the, name? the introduction of this podcast was at the beginning. Now we're moving on to the rest. Purred happily. Purred happily, thank you. Couldn't remember his last name. Uh, so, Justin, I, th- I feel like a really important conversation that people are happening, happen, happening, happening, happening. It's happening, people are having right now. It's been a long week. Yeah. Uh, is how to um, take steps to prevent uh, something bad from happening, like yes. a, an illness, perhaps, a yes. sickness, a virus, an infection. Any virus that's raised Any mind. virus that you can think of. Um, instead of instead of waiting until it already happens and then trying to treat it, I, I right. think we've all realized, well, many of us, not a, not a high enough percentage perhaps to achieve herd immunity have realized, but definitely some of us have realized how important that is. I have a saying about this. Do you want to hear it? What? An ounce of prevention is mm. worth a pound of cure. Yeah, that's. Uh, mm. Did you just come up with that? Just came up with that myself. Hmm. So, I I thought another. We've talked a lot about vaccines in that regard and about COVID vaccine, but I thought another topic that is timely in a sense, um, in that it's it's something that people don't know enough about and is not utilized enough. 
Um, and so it's certainly important, I know, in our area and maybe in yours too, depending on where you live. I but live that's, with you, honey. We live in the same house. Well, I meant to our listeners, uh, our dear listeners. Uh, and that's HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP a lot of people talk about. HIV PrEP. Are you familiar, very familiar you know, with this concept? embarrassing. You were talking a lot about PrEP um, when you started working with it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't, it just didn't process because I know the thing that's like PrEP. Or preparation. Mm-hmm. So I just thought you were talking about like preparing for people <laughs> to have AIDS. I, I didn't actually know what you meant. And I am sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. That's If you don't know what it stands for. And I didn't. I've made that clear. I've already owned that. Right. And if you see it written out, you'd know there was something up. Because there's like another, there's like an extra, there's some extra capitalizations in there. And you'd be like, wait, why are there more letters capitalized in that word? Yeah. And Looking at know. it now in the text, I... Can I say that to be fair? I don't feel like you were saying prep. I feel like you weren't saying the lowercase r in prep. I feel like you weren't like de accentuating it. Ep. Prep. Well, it's as opposed to pep. So in in oh, HIV, when okay. we're talking about uh, trying to prevent the transmission of HIV, you can do pre-exposure prophylaxis. So you give somebody a pill to try to decrease their risk of contracting HIV ahead of time. Or there's post-exposure prophylaxis, PEP, which is when someone has potentially been exposed to HIV and you can give them medications to decrease the risk of actually, you know, having HIV. Yes. Um, Even even though they've already been exposed. So these are two separate sort of issues, PrEP and PEP, for short. Now, I'm this is not an episode all about HIV. HIV is such a I think such a big topic uh because of all the the cultural significance of it, especially in this country, um the denial of its existence and impact for so long, and there are many many stories about that that are very well told that you can, you know, watch and learn, not just, you know, what is this virus, what is what are the treatments for it, but all of the issues, the social issues, cultural issues that surround that. Um, and I think that there's a lot of different episodes we could do around that topic, but it would take us days, right? Like That's why get, there's whole movies about this. I feel like it doesn't get the play it used to, HIV and, and AIDS. And I feel like there's uh, much less of a conversation uh, about those at, at this point. Maybe that's I, obviously as a layman, I'm, I may be just encountering it less, but it that is that is my my sense. I I think that you're right. I think in the recent going on two years now, it's COVID is ev- well, that's what everyone's talking yeah. about. Um, and it's hard for me personally because where we live, we have this these sort of twin epidemics that are happening, both obviously COVID because that's everywhere, but also uh, in our part of the world, cases of HIV are being spread pretty rapidly, especially considering that we live in a smaller, I mean, we're technically a city, but just barely. And in areas where you've seen a lot more people using injection drugs, you can eventually see these sort of HIV outbreaks. And that is exactly what we're seeing here. And you are you are absolutely right that because COVID is getting so much attention, which I'm not saying it shouldn't. No, I think but because been of that, that, other things like in this instance HIV, I think are definitely getting neglected. Yeah. Um, and I think there is this sort of this understanding that we have such effective treatments for HIV 
that it is not as pressing of an issue in a lot of people's minds, which is true to an extent, right? We have incredibly effective treatments for HIV, um, but getting them to everyone who has HIV Mm -hmm. is that's still a barrier. Diagnosing everyone who is carrying the virus and doesn't know, and then giving people access to things to prevent contracting HIV. All of those are still giant hurdles that we haven't, you know, some people have crossed, but many, many still haven't. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of work to be done. And PrEP is part of that. So the idea of taking something every day to try to prevent something is not a new idea, right? Like ideally we'd have a vaccine. That would be perfect, right? If we just had an HIV, HIV vaccine. vaccine. Uh, wasn't there some work on that that was yeah. like getting? It's been in the works. So, so we'll get there. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. That, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, Imagine a vaccine and then everybody, everybody will just take it. And uh, I mean, why wouldn't they? That's, that's what happens, right? When there's a vaccines. life-threatening virus and then science creates an amazing vaccine that is incredibly effective at preventing serious illness and death. Everyone just takes it. This is not a new idea, by the way. I think a great corollary for this conversation is malaria. So malaria, which we also are working, right, on a vaccine for. Yes. But, but we do not have one that we can widely give yet. They're, they're testing them, but we just don't, you know, we're, we're not quite there. Um, malaria, the idea of taking a pill each day to prevent that, that dates back to at least the 1700s maybe Mm. earlier Um, because, and we've done a whole episode about this, about malaria and the history, but we know that the bark of the cinchona tree contains quinine and that that was discovered and used very early by people sort of like as um, in, in, you know, indigenous people in folk medicine using this as a way to treat fevers, Mm -hmm. which were not known yet to be malaria, but were almost certainly malaria. Um, And then eventually Within the next 100 years, you see people taking this bark daily if they're in areas where you might get malaria. Hmm. So the idea of using something every day to try to prevent you from catching something, well-established. Yeah, it's very logical. Right, and we do that to this day for malaria. I have traveled abroad several different times and had to take a pill every day to prevent getting malaria while Mm -hmm. I was in that area of the world where malaria is more common. It's the only safe thing to do. Like if I know that I'm going to be riding the Big Dipper at Camden Park, I take a tetanus prophylaxis. You know, it's the <laughs> same the same idea. You you just can't take too many precautions. It is I will say that the reason you don't talk about taking a pill every day to prevent something as much um to prevent contracting a, an illness is because of vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. Because we figured out a way to inject you with something that would give you that much longer lasting immunity as opposed to having to take something every day. I um, just realized that I probably did a fair bit of narrow casting there a few seconds ago. Folks, if you didn't know about West Virginia's one and only uh, theme park, Camden Park, uh, Huntington, West Virginia's uh, own, uh, you turn in where you see the happy clown and you're just going to be treated to a day of uh, thrilling adventure. Near-death um, experiences. Yeah, haunted houses there. There's um, a wall that's covered in... ABC gum. There's a wall covered in ABC gum. This place is everything. Go get on YouTube and search for the Big Dipper uh, in uh, at Cannon Park. It is uh it is a wild is a, a wild. It's a big ride. wooden roller coaster. It's and the it's most thrilling roller coaster. So shaky. Ooh, so boy. shaky. Oh, it's a shaky one, folks. It looks like one of those. Uh, it feels like you're on one of those like in the 1800s. You ever see the ones that are basically just like people in a 
a cart used to carry <laughs> grains around on a big chute. You like know a mine like, cart yeah. from Donkey Kong yeah, or exactly. something. That's um, what it feels like. It's great. <laughs> Cannon Park is the best. So we we don't think about it as much, I think, because of vaccines, but there are other conditions we use prophylaxis for, just to sort of set the stage for this. Like there are antibiotics that we can use uh, as prophylaxis for different illnesses. Um, like when I was younger, I was on antibiotics for a long time to try to prevent me from getting UTIs, urinary tract infections. We don't really do that anymore, but like we thought we could for a while. There are people who have to take them. Um, people with people living with HIV sometimes have to take certain medications to try to prevent different opportunistic infections or infections that you can get when you are immunosuppressed. Um, people with uh, ascites, a condition where you have fluid in your stomach, might have to take uh, an antibiotic every day to prevent an infection. So there's lots of reasons we might do this. And the concept of doing this for HIV is a newer one. We have that, you know, I mean, really, we're just talking about since the 2000s, you mm. know, about 2004-ish is when we started thinking about and, and trialing this sort of idea. Um, in the earliest days of the AIDS pandemic, we didn't know how to, we didn't know what to do about it, right? There wasn't enough attention being paid. Nobody knew how to prevent it, how yeah. to treat it. What caused it? Anything. Yeah. So scared people refused to, you know, shake hands with someone with HIV or yeah. share any sort of spaces like public restrooms. You know, that was a big, that was a big problem. And you, you've seen, and I've seen it circulating more recently, pictures from like, the silent or the minority report, the silent majority report or whatever. The, it's the conservative Christian magazine that was circulating. And I will say it's not the minority report. I don't think it's from. Well, it was. A, no, it's not that. It's no. they would. I don't remember what it's called, but it's pictures stuff. of a conservative family wearing masks to try to protect themselves from contracting HIV. Well, the last time it's conservative families wore masks. <laughs> yes. This is, I think this is why this this uh, image fun. is circulating. Okay. Cause it's, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, and, of course, none of that is how you prevent contracting HIV. And masks are not part of it. You can shake hands. You can share restrooms. All those things are fine. Um, we eventually learned that, like, condoms are an effective means in reducing the transmission of HIV. Right. Um in the case of sexual contact, we also learned that people who use injection drugs could decrease their risk of contracting HIV by using a new needle every time, you know, not sharing needles or, or reusing or, you know, that kind of thing or all new equipment. And that's where needle exchanges came from, which we've done a whole episode on. But by the 2000s, we had a lot of drugs as well to treat HIV. So we started learning how it was transmitted, learning ways to prevent it. And then eventually we began to develop medications that could actually effectively treat the virus, and by the 2000s, we had lots of those. Um, from 2004 on, we have these medications from Gilead, which are going to, that's a pharmaceutical company, which are going to become the focus, really, of this episode. Um, and our understanding of the virus had greatly increased, right? We knew how these medications um, work to stop the virus in a variety of ways. There's a lot of different ways that HIV medications can stop you from uh, can stop the virus and, you know, prevent you from progressing from HIV to acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS, right? Mm -hmm. um, Boy, I'll be honest, folks. It is really hard to not stop you to uh, sing lines from Rent every 15 <laughs> seconds. And I know that that's neither here nor there. And probably I would imagine people who are living with AIDS are tired of hearing about Rent because for a generation of people. That is your reference uh, that point. That is the reference point, as Tim Robbins once told me. Uh, rent taught my generation something really important: tolerance. So I, Tim I Robbins did tell us that. Tim Robbins told us that it was so Tim Robbins. It was, it was so, perfect. The most Tim Robbins 
thing that could possibly happen. Don't you love when you meet someone and you They're have all this exactly sort of preconceived notion and then they just fit and you're just it like, so I knew radical. exactly. We were talking about how my, how uh, Sydney's sister Riley, her generation had grown up on Hamilton and the, that was their rent. That was their rent. And I said, but it's cool for them because they're going to get a fundamental understanding of the American Revolution. And Tim Robbins said, you know, just in your generation, learn something just as important for rent tolerance. And I was like, this is great. Oh my God, Tim so Robbins. True, Tim Robbins. It's the best. So true. I, I want to get into so we, we've established this concept. We have lots of um, pre existing ideas about like what, what do you mean by prophylaxis and ways that that works and different. Um, illnesses that can work for. So we have HIV. We need to learn a little bit about HIV for me to get into how these medicines work and why I'm talking about them and what the controversy is mm -hmm. around them today. Um, but before I do that, we no. got to, yeah, we got to head to the bathroom. I department. was getting ramped up. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that... no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life 
and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, excuse me, everybody. I just uh, wanted to say a few words about the beautiful couple. I've known you two for a long time, and you get along like peanut butter and chocolate. Or, you know, like like uh, comedy and culture, like uh, Maximum Fun podcasts. <laughs> Actually, they're having a block party from October 11th to October 22nd, and that's kind of like your party, right? You have a community of friends and family, and... Max Fun has a community of shows and audiences that support them. You're having a new start with your life together, and Max Fun will be putting out new episodes that are especially welcoming to new audiences. So it's a great time to introduce your friends to your favorite show or jump into one you haven't tried Is before. He still talking about podcasts? And they're setting up a volunteer event where we can help out our local communities. Plus, Maximum Fun is going to have games, prizes, episode wrecks, so much other fun stuff. What's wrong with Kyle? Is he okay? Oh! (laughs) Anyways, anyways, sorry for getting carried away there. If it's alright with everybody here, let's all raise our glasses for a toast. To the Max Fun Block (sighs) Party, which you can learn more about at MaximumFun.org slash Block Party, and don't forget to join in on October 11th. Actually, that... That sounds pretty cool. You know, this is classic broadcasting blunders because I should have teased my great Tim Robinson story to keep people hooked. Did you say Tim Robinson? Tim Robbins. Oh, okay. Story. Uh, I should have teased that I had that coming up after the break. You know what I mean? But I'm about to tell you how the HIV virus works. Just as good. Just as interesting, for sure. I said HIV virus, which is... Anyway. Well, this world, it's a late night recording for <laughs> it's, I have for had Justin a long week of inpatient hospital service. City's been I'm treating just a lot say. of folks at the hospital who've made a lot some of very, choices. A lot of very sick people. It's been a long week. Um, okay, HIV is yes. an RNA yes. virus, right? We've got DNA. Some viruses have DNA. Yeah, Not I HIV. Got DNA, you got DNA. Not HIV. It's got RNA. Uh, but it also has an enzyme called reverse transcriptase, which basically helps it make DNA. It uses its RNA to make DNA. Mm-hmm. And then it takes that DNA and it puts it into our cells, makes more HIV. Okay. That's it. That's that's kind of, I mean, that's a simplified version of it, right? Um, the medications that the help us, uh, the, if, you, if someone has HIV, that you treat the HIV with, work in a variety of different ways, okay? Because there, there's lots of different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that can stop the virus from entering our cells, those are called fusion inhibitors. And then there are medications that can stop the virus from replicating once it's in there. So, And those are called nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors and non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. And those are the things Did that are really... Wait, can I ask you a question? Was Cyberverse in there? Because that sounds awesome. <laughs> no. That would be cool, though. It'd be cool if you guys snuck cool words into the fancy-sounding things. It's like, you know, and, and then and the negatron energy waves. I think nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors is pretty cool sounding. And you didn't say cyberverse. I didn't. Okay. 
There's an huh. uh, there's an integrase inhibitor that can stop the viral DNA from getting into our cells. There are protease inhibitors that can stop us from putting HIV particles together. There are others too. The medications that we're focusing on are two that are those uh, nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. They prevent the HIV from replicating, basically. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that you need to know about them. Um, there are two medications uh, that uh, are imtricitabine, imtricitabine, Mm -hmm. and tenofovir. Um, you may you have heard them. this is important for the podcast, right? You're yeah. not just trotting out. Okay. They, you may have heard them called Truvada or Discovi. Those are the, those two combined make those two medicines that are slightly, slightly different, but basically the same. Okay. Okay. These are the medications that you can use for pre-exposure prophylaxis okay. against HIV. Okay. Okay. It's a pill a day. Pill a day keeps the... HIV away. One would hope. Yes, that is the goal. That well, I mean, they can greatly reduce your risk. Okay. Okay. Um, what is the efficacy? Do you know? Like, like ballpark? Uh, yeah, they can. So, if used perfectly, um, hold on, I have my stat. I wrote it down on here. They are upwards of. They are in the nineties, ninety percent effective. Wow. Dang. Like it, even when used imperfectly, um, they greatly reduce your risk. But like. It's it, in some studies up to ninety nine percent, but like but definitely like, in the nineties, all the studies said that if you use them, yeah, ninety up to ninety percent, and then in some other studies even higher if you use them the way you're supposed to. Okay. So incredibly like, effective medications. Okay. Um, they tried this first. So starting in the early two thousands is when we really see this research take off. So you have all these drugs, and like I said, these that I just mentioned have been approved for the treatment of HIV since about two thousand four. Truvada has. It's been around for a long time. Um, so they started with animal models. There is something called a simian immunodeficiency virus, SIV. Mm -hmm. Same thing we get, but in simians. So they tried it in animals first, both uh, oral meds, pills, and it, they started creating like a vaginal gel. They, that was one concept of it was if we could like insert this vaginal gel prior to receptive va vaginal intercourse, then maybe we could prevent it that way. So they tried it in, in these animal models that seemed to work. Um, so they started to investigate this possibility. In humans, uh, their first, like, the first thing they really tried was this gel, and it was a little cumbersome to use. That was one of the big um, problems with it, is that you had to, like, in, kind of insert a certain amount of this gel prior to sex. You had to do it again after sex. You could only do it twice in 24 hours. It was a, it's a lot. a lot, and you had to do it's it perfectly. Yeah. Um, now, it did work. If you use it right, it did reduce your risk of contracting HIV. So it was effective, but it was just hard to do right. Um, and obviously, it's only a solution for someone with a vagina. Right. So it's, li okay. it's limited in how many people it can help. So then studies um, more focusing on the oral medications began. Um, and it took a little longer, but by 2010, we have a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine um, at the University of California in San Francisco that showed that when taken daily, Truvada could reduce the risk of getting HIV up to 90% in men who have sex with men and transgender women who have sex with men. Um, and this led to the approval of it for this use, pre-exposure prophylaxis, in 2012. Okay? Okay. Um, and then they did sub subsequent studies to, like, expand on their knowledge. So they have this certain 
patient group that they know that it works in. So they started um, trialing it more in people who have vaginas and trialing it in people whose main risk of getting HIV is actually injection drug use. Because that was the next question. What works when your risk is sexual contact? Does it still work if your risk is injection drug use? Mm. So, which it seems like it should be the same, but we actually have different exposure sort of like time frames, like how often are people being exposed to the virus and will that change if it's effective? And, you know, because mm-hmm. if someone is using, um, is sharing needles multiple times throughout the day and being exposed possibly to HIV multiple times throughout the day, as opposed to sexual contact, which may only be once every few days or whatever, yeah. you know, different risk profiles. Anyway, they found it effective in all of these patient groups. Hmm. Very, very effective. And of course, the more regularly you take it, the more effective it is. Right. So, you know, if you do have a patient population that has a lot of trouble accessing the medication, taking a medication daily, getting refills, seeing a, a healthcare professional, of course, it's not going to be as effective. But if you can get people to take it, it works. Mm. Um, and that led to the approval of both Truvada for these groups. And then eventually, um, very recently, another medication, Descovy, which is almost exactly Truvada. It has like a slight difference in one of the two drugs in it. Orange flavor. Yeah, yeah. One's orange, one's grape. That's perfect. That's so nice <laughs> that they do that. That's not now, true. Now, Sid, was there, you were telling me before we were starting to chat about this, mm-hmm. that there was some hesitation from people like, leading up to this that maybe it would i mean it's the same argument that you hear about uh, um prophylaxis like uh for pregnancy right mm-hmm. like if you if you have this then people are just going to the teens will just go have all the premarital sex they could they could stomach this was exactly the initial fear once truvada was approved there were a lot of people who were against this concept um based on the idea that if you could take a pill every day to prevent you know, contracting HIV or spreading HIV if you already, well, you know, you wouldn't take this if you had HIV ever. You you would hopefully be on treatment. But to, to risk, you know, reduce your risk of contracting HIV, that you would engage in riskier sexual behaviors or injection drug using behaviors than you would have otherwise. And so, the but what they really focused on is people won't use condoms. Mm. I mean, that's what, that was the that was how I don't this need was voiced. A condom. I'm on the the prophylaxis. Okay. Yes, I don't need a condom. I and I mean a lot of this was was also based in a lot of um, sort of prejudiced view of the groups of people who are at risk. So like specifically, a lot of this was focused on gay men. Gay men are going to use this as an excuse not to have to wear condoms. Um, and there was a lot of uh, fear around this, even though in the studies when they were getting Truvada approved and then, you know, trying it out in different patient groups and all this, um, they actually looked at that. Uh, one way that's, that's really easy to look at that is um, check the risk of other sexually transmitted infections. Mm. Because if, you, if you're testing this out and you have like a, a group that's getting Truvada, that's getting the medication, um, if they're really using condoms that much less, they're probably going to be at higher risk for other sexually transmitted infections that aren't prevented, right? Right, right, right. They weren't. They weren't getting them because they were still using condoms. Or if they weren't using condoms, they still weren't. But either way, the yeah, point is it, it didn't really change their behavior. Right. Um, there was actually some uh, predisposition for people who were on PrEP to use condoms a little more hmm. uh, in some of the studies. But either way, the point is being on PrEP did not make someone more likely to engage in a high-risk sexual behavior otherwise, okay. right? 
Right. So even though that that data was there and the evidence showed that, um, this myth of what is this a is this a bad word? Can I say this word on our show? Don't ask me. I'm the literal worst person you could ask. I don't know if I can say this word. Um, there there was a there was a a phrase that was coined. A, oh, a term I see what you're saying for people who would start taking Truvada and use it as an excuse to... I think this is okay. Okay. For Sawbones, I think this is all right. Folks, if you're worried about sort of... I don't know. How do you... How do you do do a trailer for... I would not use this word in my day-to-day But it is a technical... It's a term. Well, there was an article that was published... term of art. Like, a popular science article who said, like, these people, uh, they called them Truvada whores was the the term that started being used. You said that in a very clinical fashion <laughs> that I don't think anybody could be uh, upset about. Well, it's a, it's obviously an incredibly offensive term. Um, obviously. Because uh, it, it assumes, well, it assumes a couple things, right? That like if people are taking Truvada, they will engage in high-risk um, sexual behaviors, maybe be thoughtless about their behaviors, um, be more likely to have more partners, not use condoms or other forms of protection. And it also assumes that having multiple sexual partners is bad inherently, right? So, like, it's double. It's a double bad. Right. It's, it's all bad. Um, double plus bad. <laughs> it's double plus bad. Um, but because of that, this myth that started to be perpetuated, it made it really difficult for people to access care because, uh, one, if that was what the, the narrative around this drug is, people are going to be less likely to ask for it. And two, if you have healthcare providers who aren't well educated on this topic, they're they're going to be nervous about prescribing it because mm-hmm. they're not going to know. They're not going to have done all the reading. And if a patient does ask for it, they're going to say, "I think that makes my patient more likely to engage in high risk sexual behavior." Oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't let them have it. Um, and the and the truth is, like in this case. The, the doctor, the healthcare professional who's probably going to be asked about it is going to be like your primary care doctor. Mm. So you're not necessarily talking about, and I say this as a primary care doctor, we are not necessarily always the best educated on things like this. Like right. I was not taught about prep. I taught myself. So, you know, it, you may you may have somebody who's hesitant to ask who even when they muster the courage to ask their doctor about it gets refused. Mm. So there were a lot of people arguing that, like, if we normalize it, we're going to do more harm than good. Um, And uh, this really limited, you know, its uptake. Like, even from the beginning, uh, even though we've had this drug around since 2012 and then a new drug since 2019, like, there just aren't that many people on pre-exposure prophylaxis, Mm -hmm. even though, again, they're incredibly effective. To add to all of this... There is a legal controversy Mm. around these medications. So both drugs are made by Gilead. It's like a really, isn't that, it's like a really unfortunate name for a drug company to have right now, right? Yeah. Isn't that from The Handmaid's Tale? (laughs) I don't know. Could just be an old person's name. I couldn't watch that show because it just was too. Too real. It was too real. Um, It is important to know that when we talk about like the early studies of HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, mm-hmm. um, and and we're looking specifically at Truvada, mm-hmm. and that study that I mentioned from the University of California. A lot of government money was used to fund that study. Mm. 
So the government thought they should well, control Well, also, it? the money that wasn't from the government was, like, donated by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm. So you have this drug that was developed, um, or, well, it was already developed. It was approved for this new use, uh, using money that taxpayers put in and that was donated by charitable organizations. Um, and then, of course, Truvada, and then, of course, once Gilead, you know, releases it for this new indication, is making a lot of money off of it. Um, it is, by the way, named after the uh, the balm of Gilead. Yeah. A rare perfume used medicinally. Oh, okay. Mentioned in the Bible. Right. I knew so it was something go. biblical. Yeah. Anyway, so the point is, we funded it. Right. Right? We, Taxpayers we and Bill Gates. <laughs> Just like the Panama Canal, the Hoover Dam. Funded it. Um, how And so... The government actually applied for patents on it. The, the, they should be in control of it. Right. Right. they funded it. Right. But they weren't approved until after Gilead had already patented it and released it and uh, started making money off of it. Classic, classic. Right? Yeah, it's good stuff. So now we have a conflict because who who should be making money off of this? Maybe nobody. <laughs> Whoa. Um. Because the thing is, like, it be, it's, it started to become apparent that a lot of people weren't being able to access this. And mm. the government's going, I mean, we helped make this thing. Yeah, why did we let them do this? Why are we letting them do that? Um, so in 2019, Gilead asked the patent office to deny the government patents on the basis that basically what they were saying is like, yeah, sure, 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 the government helped out or whatever, but like it wasn't their idea either. A lot of people had these ideas. These were all just free ideas that were out there. We and just happened to be the first We jumped on it morning. first. Yeah. yeah, and like we're making this drug and it's life-saving. And also we're going to strike this deal where, get, tell you what, we'll donate a certain number of like so many thousand pills, you know, to people who need it. And like we're really going to, we're, we're good guys. Look at yeah. us donating all these meds. We okay. really want to help out, right? Yeah. So they do this PR thing. It, yes, they donated free meds. In the big picture, it was a drop in the bucket. But like they did, they did this thing to look good and right. charitable. Um, right. And at first, and this is all like happening under the Trump administration. And at first, like the Trump administration and Gilead are just like best buds, right? Shuck. This is great. Look, Shuck. they're helping us. We're going to, Shuck. we're going to end, yeah, HIV. By 2030 yeah, right, was their right. big announcement. They're yeah. going to do this, okay? Big news. Except then later the government changed course and said, never mind, we're going to sue you for infringing on our patents. <laughs> and, and the Department of Health and Human Services sued Gilead. Um, and so now they're locked in this legal battle that is still ongoing and still helpful to the everyday American. That's the important thing. Because the government is saying, we want to get this pre-exposure prophylaxis out to everybody as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. And Gilead's like, no. But <laughs> Gilead's going, money, please. Money, please. <laughs> are, are there any, um, are there any, like, side effects of this? Yeah, have? I mean, there definitely are. So most like, people tolerate it. That everybody should be on? No. The, it is indicated for people who are at high risk of contracting HIV. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there are specific, like, risk categories. If you think that you are in one, you should talk to your primary care physician. They should be mm -hmm. able to, you know, to <laughs> they should know about it or be able to look into it. Um, but there are specific risk categories. Uh, what I am most involved in is the prescribing of 
pre-exposure prophylaxis for people who use injection drugs, and that is their risk factor, especially in our area where the rate of HIV transmission is higher than, you know, average. Um, uh, And it could be – it's an excellent tool, right? It's one more tool we have in fighting another virus that, like you said, is has been neglected while we all spend so much time talking about COVID, and that is HIV, which is still – a problem, which is people are still getting and people are still having trouble accessing care. Um, only about 270,000 Americans, a little bit more than that now, probably are on pre-exposure prophylaxis. I'm assuming many more should be. Yes, yes. Um, the big limitations are cost. There is still a cost. You got to have insurance. They're not, yeah. they are still patented. You know, we, yeah. we are, these are brand name medications that you have to be prescribed. And if you don't have insurance, are going to be way too expensive. Um, There are programs that can help pay for these things. Still not enough. Um, Knowledge of them at all. A lot of people don't know they're out there. Well, that's fixed. I mean, at least (laughs) that now that we've recorded a podcast about it is corrected. So that one you can actually scratch off your notes. And and we need a, and the education of um, on the medical end has to improve too, because a lot of prescribers are not familiar with it. And so they have some discomfort, even if it's not something that they have some sort of weird moral opposition to it's just they don't know it and so they don't know how to do it it's really you ask about side effects most people tolerate them extremely well you just have to make sure one that the patient doesn't already have hiv because you do not want to they this would not be alone a treatment and that you'd be treating them inappropriately right so you got to make you have to test for that first um you do have to check a kidney function because for people with reduced kidney function it could be dangerous and then other than that there's not a lot of monitoring other than checking periodic HIV tests to make sure that the person hasn't contracted HIV. And um, some people have some GI symptoms at first, a little mm. bit of nausea. Um, in my experience, most people tolerate it well. That's what the data says. Um, it's a, Like I said, it's a pretty low-risk intervention. It does need to be monitored. You do need to have somebody who can check you periodically for HIV, and you do need to have... Somebody who can, if you have, you know, any kidney problems, you need to be watched. Um, But other than that, the main thing is just you got to take it every day. So you Mm -hmm. have to have access to it and you have to be able to afford it. I don't know where the the lawsuits will land or what good that will do, um, how long that will be tied up. I I would like to mention a lot of why these lawsuits are happening and why – uh, there is a push to get PrEP out to people. Once again, this is true over and over again in the story of HIV and AIDS activism. It, it was an activist group called PrEP for All hey. that did a lot of that heavy lifting. Um, one excitable or one exciting, one excitable, one exciting injectable, that's what I was going to say. An excitable injectable. Excitable injectable um, that could be approved by the FDA in January is a long acting injectable form of pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's one shot every eight weeks Nice. that could reduce your risk of contracting HIV. And it seems like it, it would help to get to that standard of like how effectively it's being used, right? It lowers the mm-hmm. margin of error there considerably. Right, because you don't have to take a pill every day. So yeah. that, that could be a really exciting evolution in, in this field. Again, we have to be able to afford it People have to know it exists so that they can ask for it, or doctors have to know that it's out there so they can recommend it mm-hmm. and feel comfortable prescribing it and monitoring it. Um, but this is a really underutilized tool that we have. And if you are someone who is in, you know, if you, if you do meet the criteria for high risk for contracting HIV, um, somebody who's a partner 
of someone who's who's living with HIV. That mm-hmm. is somebody who who would be a candidate for this. Again, people who use injection drugs. Yeah. Um, typically, um, men who have sex with men or transgender women who have sex with men. But talk to your healthcare provider. If you think you might be in a group, talk to them because these medications are out there and you may be a candidate for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, you know, they can prevent the spread of HIV. So they're great tools that we have. Excellent. Not enough people know about that. Well, now at least six or seven more do. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, next week's exciting. It's the Max Fun Block Party. Uh, we're going to be kicking off a week of fun and frivolity. Uh, we're going to be pointing you towards some some new f- f- favorite shows uh, to check out. We're going to be uh, everybody's going to have really accessible episodes for for newcomers uh it's gonna be a lot of fun we're gonna be hanging out i think sid and i are gonna do a live stream of uh the hit film uh fast nine on uh so looking forward to that yeah i know you are i think i bet it's about family it probably this one is probably gonna be about family i think that'll be saturday at 9 p.m at least is the the plan that we have talked about so that's exciting um, and uh, a lot more good stuff. So that'll be on our YouTube channel, probably the Macquarie Family YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But please, uh, can I say something? Yeah. Please, uh, if you haven't been vaccinated against COVID-19, please get vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, if you know someone who hasn't been vaccinated and is hesitant, please keep having those conversations. Please. Uh, this has been the hardest week of inpatient hospital service I've ever had in my life. And I did a residency. (laughs) I did a medical residency for three years that um, was grueling. No one week was comparable to this past week. Um, So please, please get vaccinated. Get your flu shot while you're out there. Those are out there and available. Get your flu shots. Get your COVID shots. Um, Please. Whatever shots. There's a a lot of uh, suffering that could be prevented right now. And it's just a little jab. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. We sure appreciate you. That's going to do it for us. Uh, until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.